Hello, my good friends. This is Dan Jones here to share another quiet talk with you. I'm recording this on Monday, December the 20th. You are hearing it no earlier than Thursday, two days before Christmas. The day before Christmas is called Christmas Eve. My kids used to call two days before Christmas, Christmas Adam. Think about it. So, I want to talk about the most famous woman in history, at least Christian history. Her name is Mary. Growing up, it seemed like folks in the particular tradition we were in were afraid to mention Mary. Of course, she got to be a character in the Christmas pageant, but other than that, she wasn't talked about much. I guess they were afraid people would think we were one of them. You know who I'm talking about, those people that like talking about Mary. I'm afraid that too often we are most concerned that nobody ever thinks we're in the wrong bunch. I'm not one of those guys. Glad to hear it. I'm also glad that Jesus wasn't worried about people thinking he was not in the right crowd, religiously speaking. The fact is, he was constantly accused of being with the wrong crowd, and he never apologized. He really sort of criticized people for not joining in with his association with the wrong crowd. But I digress. The lowly peasant girl we now know as the Virgin Mary was certainly not an important figure to her her contemporaries, but through the Holy Spirit, she uttered some words that have become one of the most famous hymns ever. It's called the Magnificat, which is the Latin word for magnifies, as in my soul magnifies the Lord. In Latin, the word Magnificat is the first word of this hymn, so it has become the title by which we know it. Listen to the first three lines. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Just for context, I should remind you that these amazing words were spoken in the presence of only one person, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. Although you could really say three people if you include the two who were still inside their mothers, John and Jesus. We know that John heard because as soon as Mary walked in the door of Elizabeth's house, the baby inside her leaped for joy. I wonder what that felt like. Mary praises and magnifies God because he has looked down on her humble condition and done great things for her. He who is mighty has done great things for me. God, who possesses all power in the universe, has acted on behalf of this young woman. That's wonderful, isn't it? But you might be thinking, I wish this all-powerful God would take a look at my condition and do something for me, I hear you. So let's look at Mary's condition, her exuberant praise for God and what happened later. First of all, 
Shortly before she utters these immortal words, Mary gets pregnant. She is a single girl engaged to be married and living in a culture where single girls who become pregnant are basically shut out of society and often have to turn to prostitution. Now, for being pregnant in general, I've obviously never had that pleasure, but I've watched my wife be pregnant a few times. It's not always fun. Some good aspects, of course. People who love you usually rejoice when you get pregnant, although when you get about to number five, their rejoicing becomes a bit muted, And but that's not my subject today. In Mary's case, I doubt too many of her friends and townspeople rejoiced with her. This virgin birth story was probably just kind of hard to swallow for most people. Then there's this. In the middle of her pregnancy, she and Joseph, who, because of an angelic intervention, went ahead with the marriage, had to move. Now, I can also tell you, based on first-hand observation, that it's not fun for pregnant ladies to move in the middle of their pregnancies. If you doubt that, you need to talk to my wife. If I've got this right, we moved during each of Debbie's first five pregnancies. Wait, in the case of the fifth, we didn't move during the pregnancy. We waited till the baby was about a week old. That was a piece of cake. My mother once told Debbie that when she got pregnant, she shouldn't tell me because if I knew, I would probably quit my job and move the family across the country. All I can say is, I didn't mean to. Back to Mary. In the middle of her pregnancy, she has to travel down to Bethlehem from her home up north in Nazareth. Christian artwork usually shows Mary riding on a donkey, but I haven't read in scripture anywhere that she rode on a donkey. These were not well-to-do people. My guess is that Mary had to walk on this journey. It was about 90 miles, which at minimum would have taken four or five days walking all day long. You think Mary's feet hurt? So the baby is born in Bethlehem, and while he is still quite small, they have to make another journey, this time to Egypt, which was even farther away. I really doubt they knew anybody down there. So here is this new mother in a strange place trying to take care of a little one, and I'm sure Joseph encouraged her. Finally, they get to go home. Oh boy, another road trip. At least she's not pregnant for this one, just chasing a little son everywhere. Although since he was really the son of God, I'm guessing he wasn't as much trouble as, say, I was at that age. I don't have time to keep going into detail here, but let's just skip ahead a few years. Apparently, her husband, Joseph, is now dead. Her firstborn starts this preaching ministry and ends up crucified. She watches at the foot of his cross as he is tortured, hanging naked before a mocking crowd, and then he dies painfully. What was that you said, Mary? All generations will call me blessed doesn't sound like a very blessed life to me. Sounds pretty hard, as a matter of fact. And yet, she was blessed. She was blessed to be right at the center 
of God's mighty acts that were actually the fulfillment of the promises he had been making for centuries. You know, there's a way we Christians talk sometimes that I don't think really conveys total reality. I do it myself, and we'll probably do it again at some point, but here it is. When something good happens to us, like getting a big raise at work or some such thing, we say, God has been good to me. But we don't usually say that when we get fired or get sick or lose someone we love. Is God good sometimes, but usually not so much? No, God is always good. He is good to us in the middle of good times, and he is good to us in the middle of trouble and sorrow. Mary was blessed, not because everything that happened to her was like a bowl of ice cream, but because she willingly surrendered to God's plan for her. She got to be a part of the greatest event in human history, the coming of the Son of God into the world. To me, one of the most beautiful statements ever made by anyone in the Bible are the words she speaks after the angel describes what God has in mind for her. She says, Behold the handmaiden of the Lord. Mary was saying, Lord, do with me as you wish. Your will is best. I am your servant. I'm glad Mary said yes. I'm glad Jesus said yes. At this beautiful season, when we reflect on these powerful, world-changing events, I pray that in response, all of us will say with Mary, Behold, Lord, I am your servant. Father God, thank you for the unspeakable gift of your Son who came to take away our sins by his death at Calvary. In these days, help us not to forget that most important truth. Amen. My dear friends in Quiet Talk, listeners, I pray that you have a wonderful Christmas. I pray that you get to be with those that you love, that you celebrate, that most of all that you remember that Christmas is about the love of God for us sinners, that he sent his one and only son into this world to die for us. Let's give him thanks for that. You can always reach me by email at father.danjones at outlook.com. May God bless you.